Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as mm-hmm. soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online, and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough, and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then, and you're re- Reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? Oh, yes. Hey there. Welcome to Sex Help with Carol the Coach. I am so glad to be with you. You know, every Monday night, I hang out with you all and do my very best to educate you, to teach you, to work with you. And to learn myself. I mean, one of the best things about this show is that I'm finding out about resources and projects that are in the works before my colleagues. You know, it's a wonderful thing. I find out what works. Sometimes I find out what doesn't. And um, it has inspired me to do a lot of things that really jazz me up. Now, I don't know. You know, when I started this show, oh, 500 shows ago, and I'm being very serious, I'm the oldest podcaster talking about sex addiction. It's really weird because my husband is seven years younger than I am, and I'm a pretty young 64. I just turned 64 a couple of weeks ago. You know, I paddleboard, I rollerblade, well, I used to rollerblade. You heard that fall, that story about my fall. But um, I really love living life. I love music. I love being with people. I love playing guitar. I, there's just very little that I don't love to do. So I sing pretty young at heart. Well, my husband heard me introduce my podcast by saying, I am the grandmother of sexual addiction. Now, a.k.a., Neither he nor I have ever had kids. So we don't know what it's like to be grandparents. We don't even know what it's like to be parents. But he looked at me and he scowled and he goes, quit saying you are the grandmother of sexual addiction. That is just wrong. And I said, what do you mean? I have the oldest podcast and I'm one of the oldest announcers. And he goes, Carol, you are so damn young at heart. Well, I really appreciated that endorsement from him. That, my friends, was words of affirmation. And that's my love language. And I don't really get it from my husband much. I don't need it. I know he loves me. I've got great self-esteem. But when I do get it, I'm over the top. So... I just want to say that I am um, a veteran of sex addiction podcasts. And when I started this, I mostly spoke to sex addicts who were just dealing with their sexual addiction. 
whether they were married, single, divorced, widowed, it didn't matter because I was helping them with their sexual addiction. And lo and behold, my genre and niche morphed into relationships. And so now I do a lot of partner betrayal. I do a lot of how to help her heal. You all know I have the book, Help Her Heal, an empathy workbook for sex addicts to help their partners heal. And I really have made it my mission to educate. It's not that I don't care about you single sex addicts. As a matter of fact, you've heard me say it before. You by far have the hardest um, challenge because you don't have somebody to help hold you accountable and you don't have somebody that adds a little bit more accountability, right? Somebody who you're working for, somebody that you're working with. And I think that's harder. I really, really do. So I want you to know my heart goes out to you. Because I think it's pretty doggone evident that I really care about the men and women that I work with. So I'm always looking for shows that I think will be interesting. And I recently read something that Jeff Stir had written about trust building. And so I contacted him immediately and I said, I would love to talk about that on the show. And so he was checking in with me and he said, yeah, I would love to speak about rebuilding trust in the wake of intimate partner betrayal because that is so devastating to the coupleship. And most initial attempts at rebuilding trust follow the same pattern of the addictive, manipulative, secretive behavior that betrayed the relationship in the first place. Now, I was thinking about that because I'm working with a man who was waffling about doing a disclosure. He wasn't quite sure, and I was educating him, and I was informing him, and his life had come in once, and I told her what it was all about, and neither one of them were overly excited. For anybody who doesn't know, a disclosure, a formal therapeutic disclosure is when you spend considerable time with the therapist coming up with your timeline and what you've done, and then the wife or the spouse or the fiancé, the girlfriend, gets all of her questions out in a format, and she gives it to the therapist who's working with the addict, and we make sure that sucker is that disclosure is 100% airtight. So um, in, in rebuilding trust in a relationship, you really have to be honest. And because he was debating on whether he should tell his wife that he had um, had sexual relations with somebody, uh, he had told her everything but that one story, of course, a very important story, What did she do? She found out, right? Wives find out. They are incredible private eyes and detectors. They have to be. They have to know that they're safe. I'm not putting them down for it. I'm saying it is how they make sense of an unsafe situation is by finding out themselves what the deal is. But the thing is, I really knew that he was working on this. He was scared. So she finds out. So now he's in the doghouse double time because he had been holding the secret, this lie from her. And he had had over six months of great recovery. But that gets erased in in the blink of an eye when a partner finds out about a big lie. Do you hear how that rhymed? (laughs) That gets erased in the blink of an eye when the partner finds out about the big fat lie. Well, that's what happened. Okay. Similar to that story, I had a client who was talking about the fact that he had slipped again. 
but his wife was having a horrible day. She was being triggered all over the place. Nothing was going right. She felt taken advantage of. The kids were driving her crazy. They were his kids. It was tough. And so he could not bring himself to honor his contract, which was he would tell her about his slip within eight hours. So he waits till the next day till she's having a better day, and what's he do? He tells her. She gets really discouraged because finally she's having a good day, and now she's back having a bad day. And he's saying, but I, try, I just didn't, I couldn't do it to you. I couldn't. I could not bring myself to give you more bad news when you're having already a bad, bad day. Now, I got to tell you, if you got a contract with your wife or your husband, honor that sucker. For no reason should you ever hold back a secret because that is a lie. That is deceptive. It is deception. And you've got to be 100% honest. So there are two cases where the addict was going to do the right thing, but because he waited, he was unable to do it. And that never works out. Never. So Jeff tonight is going to be talking about how do you rebuild the relationship? How do you rebuild trust when... There are so many indications of lies, deceit, secrecy, and manipulative behavior in the past. And he's going to be sharing three principles that are essential when rebuilding trust from a position of respect. So I am so looking forward to it. His his, uh, website is trustbuildingacademy.com. And he actually has a 12-week trust-building boot camp online program to help the unfaithful partner learn how to create conditions where trust can be restored. And guys, he's going to be offering a discount. So we'll find out more about that in just a little bit. Um, Trust is one of my favorite, favorite subjects. Because my experience is Spouses want to trust again, and they're willing to hang in there as long as they feel like they are getting trustworthy information. There has to be a really good reason, a really good reason to um, have some issues that would keep you from from being truthful. I don't actually even know what those reasons would be because my my slant on things is that it is imperative that you honor your word at all times. You remember the four agreements, right? That little book that was written by um, Don Ruiz. What is it? Don Miguel Ruiz. And he is uh, a Peruvian Native American, who wrote that book that said that the equivalent to the Ten Commandments is the following. Be impeccable with your word. You know, don't say you're going to do something and not do it, and don't gossip, and don't be mean-spirited. Be impeccable. Um, don't make assumptions. Check in with people about things. When you make assumptions, you're usually wrong. And I will share with you the next two at the end of the show because it looks like Jeff has come on. He is on on the panel, and I want to welcome him to Sex Help with Carol the Coach. Jeff, thanks so much for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I love the name of your project and your website. I mean, trustbuildingacademy.com. Tell me a little bit about how you got into the business of trust building. Well, I've been working with couples um, for 20 years, and most of the couples that come into therapy 
are dealing with broken bonds, broken trust. They're not just coming in for some, you know, light maintenance, uh, fine-tuning kind of stuff. Usually there's been a major breach, um, and most of those are going to be around some type of breach to the bond of the relationship. So it could be a sexual breach, a betrayal, um, financial, <clears throat> things like that. And so rebuilding trust just takes such a long time, and a lot of people get frustrated and drop out early in the trust-building process, especially when I think things are starting to get pretty good. And I just wanted to build a resource so people knew that there's good help available to help them stay in that process and understand a roadmap. Well, and I find that people really need encouragement. Before you came on the show, I had two men that I talked to today that broke that bond because they decided that it would be too cruel to talk about something at the time, um, you know, within the time element that they had agreed to talk. You know, when when a man Mm -hmm. or a woman commits a slip or relapse and they have a bond with their partner to share that in eight hours, it doesn't matter what kind of a day she's having. They need to be true to their word. Don't you think? Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Um, Most of the betrayals that I, you know, that I see that the deepest hurts aren't even necessarily from what they did. It's what they concealed or held from their partner. That's where it feels cruel. That's where it feels manipulative and abusive and, um, and so it's absolutely essential to understand something as fundamental as that principle. And so these are the kinds of things we want to teach people when they're rebuilding trust. Yeah, and so in a lot of ways, we're educating people to, to stand by their word even though they know it's going to hurt. Because if they've created right. that, yeah, that contract, that sacred verbal contract, that's going to build trust. And yeah, I don't know about you, but I work with APSAPS, and they are a partner-sensitive trauma program. And we did research on partners, and they said, the partner said, I would much rather know the infraction than find out later on that he kept it a liar, he kept it a secret. They can handle the truth, even if they don't like it, but they can't handle when he's been deceptive. Yeah, absolutely. Because the the deception, the mistake may have been unintentional, the mistake may be a blind spot, but the concealment is always intentional. It's always deliberate. There's there is um an element of choice in that. And so I always tell the guys that I work with, I say, Look, you may have accidentally, you know, made a mistake with a slip with pornography or or flirting or something like that, and all of a sudden came to your senses. But at the moment you realize that you betrayed your partner or that you crossed a line, you broke a promise, you have a decision at that moment. Am I going to go into concealment and darkness, or am I going to come into light and bring it to them directly? And that kind of courage is what heals relationships when they choose to move toward their partner and open up to them. Oh, absolutely. So what do you believe happens to partners when the trust is broken? What happens to them psychologically, physically, emotionally, um, all the above? When we, when we give our trust to another person, we are basically giving them permission to hurt us. We're opening ourselves up emotionally. We're opening ourselves up physically, sexually. We're giving them access to us in a way that we don't give access to anybody else. And so in that person's care, we have to know that we're safe. We have to know that that person has our best interests at heart. So a breach of trust is basically um, it can feel violent. It can feel like an assault on that safety that we so freely give to somebody in a covenant of marriage or a covenant of long-term secure relationship where we say – I'm not going to give this to anybody else. I'm only going to give this to you. And so that attachment bond where we fuse our lives together and our hearts and our dreams, when, when that person violates that, we essentially get thrown into kind of this stranger danger of I don't know who you are. I don't know who I'm with. I don't know if you're going to do this again. And that's when we're the most vulnerable. And so we, we have to close that off and protect ourselves. 
and it takes a lot to open that back up, and especially if there's been multiple betrayals in the case of addiction. Um, and and so that's when trust is broken like that, we absolutely suffer tremendously, and it's something that has to be earned back. It's not something that's a right. It's it's something that is a, a security thing that's earned from the other person. Well, and, and you mentioned the word attachment, and if, could you explain to our listening audience uh, your conceptualization of attachment and what we as therapists are always working towards when it comes to secure attachment? Yeah, you bet. Sometimes we throw these words around, so I appreciate the <laughs> clarification. Um, so with secure attachment, um, sometimes it's easier to just understand it from birth. When babies are born, we all understand instinctively that that baby is going to need someone to help them regulate their body, their emotions, talk to them, comfort them, provide them security and shelter. And we never really outgrow that same nervous system. It becomes a little bit more advanced, obviously, and we can self-soothe and we can make other connections. But at the core, we need to know there's at least one person who has our back, who is looking out for us, who cares about us, who isn't going to hurt us. And when we form that bond with another adult in adulthood, um, we're essentially forming the same type of secure attachment that we might see with a parent and child. The difference, of course, is that it's romantic and both people are counting on each other where a parent-child relationship is, is, you know, the parent just taking care of the child. But basically, that attachment bond is our safe haven. That's our security. That's the place where we know I can have a soft place to land. This person's going to care about my pain. They're accessible to me. I can get to them. They'll respond to me when I'm hurting. They're going to be engaged with me for life. And we, we stay in this secure bond um, as you know, even though we have other relationships or we, we interact with other people, we really have one core primary relationship that meets those needs. And when that gets broken, it's like the whole world comes crashing down and it's hard for us to trust almost anybody else. If we couldn't trust this one person who was supposed to have our back, the rest of the world feels really threatening and unsafe. Yeah, that's a really good description because I am of the belief that partner betrayal is by far the worst betrayal that can occur, even more than sexual abuse as a child. Um, I'm not minimizing that at all, but there is that construct that when you marry, that person has your back and that is the person you can trust for life. And even though we know that a lot of times marriages don't last for life, to have somebody be in the relationship and then deceive you repeatedly, lie to you, manipulate you, and keep secrets really makes you go, who am I living with and what is my sense of reality? Of course, the partner then doubts herself. Why didn't I know this? Why didn't I see it? What's wrong with me? So what do you think makes rebuilding trust so difficult. I mean, because that's such a special bond and we don't give that away freely to just anybody, this special attachment bond and it's earned, giving that back to that person or anyone for that matter, but in this case in a romantic bond, opening that back up to another person from a survival standpoint just instinctively doesn't make a lot of sense just to open that right back up. You would basically be belly up, totally vulnerable, and even though everything in us wants to trust the other person, everything in us also wants to protect ourselves. And so I'll often tell my clients, yeah, it's like you have one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake, and we know what that does to engines, right? They're not designed to be going and stopping at the same time, and that 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 sense of I need comfort and closeness from you, but you're the last person I trust could give it to me, you can see why this can become so difficult because you're dealing with lots of mixed messages. You're dealing with frustration on the part of the unfaithful who wants things just to be better. 
you're dealing with a lot of uh, back and forth. And not to mention the fact, I mean, this is the flip side of it. In an attachment relationship, you have the person who was unfaithful and broke the trust. They have attachment needs too that oftentimes were getting met in unhealthy ways in their addiction or in other relationships. And now we're asking them to turn back to this person that they betrayed and bond with them, but they're trying to bond with a porcupine now because the other person's so hurt and they're prickly, it's messy, and they need a lot of structure and guidance to do it because you've got one deeply traumatized, hurt individual and usually another person that's very overwhelmed and confused and reactive as well. That's why it gets tough to rebuild trust. And so who do you work with in your practice? The addict, the partner, the coupleship, groups, individuals? Who do you who do you work with? All the above, Carol. <laughs> All okay. the above. We, yeah, I um I mostly work with couples. That's my specialty. I'm trained in emotionally focused couples therapy. I have a background in tra- uh, sex addiction training. Um I run a a, a couples a couple a group therapy program for uh, addicts and partners for the past 13 years. And um, wow. in our program, we have groups for betrayed partners, traumatized partners, and we do follow a trauma model as well for them. And um, we have groups for the addicts individually. And we also have a joint initial workshop where we, where we do some co-education about, uh, crossover principles that apply to both so they both can just understand in, a, in an educational setting um, what's going on with the entire system, which helps kind of calm everybody down so that they understand the dynamics that are at play. And we talk about, um, you know, all the dynamics around uh, trauma, abuse, um, addiction, shame, family of origin, just all those different things, just to kind of help people untangle all the, all the moving parts. It's very complicated to do this work, and uh, we, you know, you want to give people as many resources as possible. Oh, absolutely! And speaking of resources, I know that you have this twelve-week trust-building boot camp that's an online program to help the unfaithful partner learn how to create conditions where trust can be restored. So, tell us a little bit about that, and what made you decide to create the boot camp. Yeah, so the program is a 12 – I'll, I'll first tell you why I decided to create it, then I'll tell you a little bit about it. I decided okay. to create it because I know, I know how to help people rebuild trust, but in my experience, the person that needs the most support in terms of actually being a source of healing and making a difference is the person who broke the trust. The, the person who, who was betrayed is oftentimes – the one that comes in seeking help. They're usually the one that is hurting so badly and they're needing that that because they're just bleeding out. They're just so hurt. But a lot of times they're looking to figure out, well, who's going to help my, who's going to help this person who hurt me? Like who's going to give them support? And, um, and so I wanted to create a resource where somebody could lock in to an ongoing process and have access to me and my, um, resources uh, for the long haul. So it's a 12-week course, but some people might take 12 months to go through it all because it's a lot of material. And um, when people sign up for the course, they automatically get access one week at a time to the 12 different modules, but they also get access to live calls with me um, in a webinar setting where they can ask questions and get additional support because it takes so long, I want people to have ongoing access in this educational setting so that they can understand the basic structure for how trust is rebuilt. I just want to have someone be able to be held in a process and have all the information available to them so they can navigate this a lot better than just trying to do it on their own. Because what comes naturally to most people that are trying to rebuild trust usually is the exact opposite of what they need to do. Well, I 100% agree with you. That's so exciting. Right now, Jeff, I am doing, creating, and probably will be done by the end of this week, a post-traumatic growth course for partners. And it is an eight-module series. You know, 
My feeling is when partners have been betrayed, the first thing they're in crisis and they need to feel safe and they need to feel stable. And that's a whole phase that they have to really navigate to figure out how can they create as much safety for themselves as possible. And that usually Mm -hmm. has to do with boundaries and all sorts of things. And then that second phase is grieving, grieving what you had, grieving what you thought you had, grieving what you wanted, Mm -hmm. grieving what you never think you'll ever get. And it's, it's a real loss and mourning phase. And so Women mm-hmm. and men, if the men is a partner, they go through that horrible grieving. And and yet as clinicians and as coaches, I don't think we talk enough about post-traumatic growth because so many of these partners, once they're working on the first two stages, they are getting stronger and they are able to trust mm-hmm. their intuition mm-hmm. a little bit. And if they can really stay abreast of everything that they're doing that's right, it will help give them more confidence to feel um, attached to themselves and confident. And, you know, then they typically find purpose and passion. You know, Patrick Karn said it really well when he said, suffering, great suffering can lead to transformation and lead to greater purpose and passion if the person is willing to continue to move it forward. And it sounds like your course, Mm. and again, for everybody that's listening, this is the 12-week trust-building boot camp online program that Jeff is offering. And I would assume, Jeff, your process really helps the unfaithful partner learn how to create conditions where trust can be restored. can you give us some ideas of some of those things? What could somebody look forward to learning if they took your course? Oh, yeah, there's so much here, right? You don't want to fire hose everybody, but, but the basic outline of the course um, is sequential. And, and some of the basic things would be, um, I have an acronym in there that I, that I focus on in, in a couple of the modules, which is ACT. And it's about how to stay accountable I teach all about accountability and what really taking accountability looks like, feels like, sounds like. And then the C stands for compassion, and it's how to stay in your heart and care about your partner's pain and stay with them in their pain, which is what they want you to do. They want you to feel what this is like for them and to feel the depth of their pain and sorrow and their grief and their loss. And then the T is for time, not only how to spend time with them, um, in the moment and really tune in and be with them in that moment to moment, but also how to stay in the saddle long term and and not pop out in frustration or, or anger and resentment. And so resources like that about how to respond to your partner in the crisis, how to create conditions every single day, how to be a good listener, um, how to how to tell your story. And, and I talk about formal therapeutic disclosure, which um, I provide a lot of resources from our good friend, Mari Lee, who has written a fantastic disclosure packet and give them guidance that, that they can take to their own therapist. This is not something obviously people should try on their own at home. We want people to get good support with that, but I give them lots of resources for how to structure that in their own area. And um, even at the end of the, the course, at the end of the 12 weeks, I have a whole module on when you're ready to start rebuilding the connection, the relationship, how to do that and how to manage triggers and how to manage setbacks. And there's just a lot of skills, a lot of worksheets, um, dozens of worksheets that you can work through and um, videos, lessons, um, and outside links and resources as well to help people have a really comprehensive experience um, being held through the trust building process. So you won't feel alone. You'll be very validated and understanding. I even open up about my own trust building efforts in my relationships so that people understand that even people who are experts in relationships still have to do this this same exact work. It's not like we have some free pass on um, not hurting people. (laughs) So uh, So there's just a lot of support and help in this program. Oh, 100%. I agree. And I always think it it makes um, people feel better when they know that 
We all are works in progress. And if you're human, there's some room for human error. And and how can we get back on track and do it right? So I like the fact Mm -hmm. that you disclose a little bit of information. And I love Mari Lee's um, packet. That's what I personally use. Although I'm telling you, this uh, Dan Drake, Janice Cottle, uh, formal therapeutic disclosure book is amazing. It is like the Bible for how to do a formal disclosure. So we got some good resources by CSATs and AppSATs alike. Have you seen that book? I'm going to look it up when I'm done. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, they yeah, have I haven't it seen for, that one. For the, yeah, they have it for the addict and then one for the um, partner. And it really is amazing, and, and they're both uh, incredible CSATs. But Mari, I've had Mari on the show many a time, and I love her packet, the fact that we can give somebody something to begin to help orient them. And I, like mm-hmm. you, feel like a formal disclosure is so important in establishing um, trust, you know, because it establishes mm-hmm. truth. And, and I don't know about mm-hmm. you, but I follow mine with a polygraph test so that the um, partner can really know that he he was not intentionally lying about anything. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, we don't have access to a good uh, polygraph administrator here in our area, but I definitely support mm-hmm. that. Um, I live in a smaller community, so it's been hard to find someone <laughs> that has that training, but... Uh, Absolutely. I, I'm a big fan of anything that will help the partner, the betrayed partner, have that security and hold the other person accountable because there's so much self-deception and other deception going on in this process. Well, and, you know, I find that it really helps the addict be accountable. And he has said to mm-hmm. me, if I haven't, I've heard it at least a thousand times when he said, you know, I wrestled with should I do it or shouldn't I, but I knew I had a polygraph coming up in about three months, and I just said to myself, I can't put her through that again. It wasn't, I can't do that to my brain. It's unhealthy. But when an addict's really being called to act out, there is no doubt about it that uh, they think about her when they think about polygraphs. So, Tell people how they can get a hold of you and, and what city and state you're in. And, and you said you do it all, so let's hear more about, more about your practice. Yeah, so my, my physical practice, if you want to work with me in person, is in beautiful southern Utah, um, down by all the national parks. And I'm in a little town called St. George, Utah. And you can find me on – the easiest website to find me is um, – trustbuildingacademy.com and you can contact me directly on there and uh, if you want to work with me in person uh, you can go to my private practice website which is lovingmarriage.com um, but the course is available for sale on both websites um, and that uh, you know that is one way like you do writing books and doing programs to expand our reach and help more people <clears throat> outside of our physical area You have made it your mission to reach out to marriages. And I think, you know, doing couples work is the hardest work ever. And I don't know if you've heard of APSATs before. Have you heard of APSATs? Oh, yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because I'm telling you, Sue Johnson's work, that um, emotional, uh, what is it, focused, emotional focused therapy? Yes, emotionally focused therapy, Uh uh-huh. That is like the preferred therapy in that organization. It really seems to get to the crux of patterns and behaviors that need need, um, some revamping. Can you talk a little bit about why you choose to use that modality? Yeah, and I'll just just offer this little uh, qualifier is that I I use emotionally focused therapy with couples, but not until – there has been safety established for the betrayed partner. Um, There's a risk of jumping into couples work too soon before there's been safety established. And by safety, I mean that the the ongoing active betrayal has stopped. So if there's an addiction, an affair, 
abuse, abandonment going on, that the betrayed partner is not constantly in the line of fire with that and that there's not ongoing injury, that there's been a full therapeutic disclosure, that there's been um, containment and boundaries set up so that the relationship is stable. Because couples therapy is built on the assumption that you've got two people that are coming in on some level of equality. And when there's one person is, is acting out, there's a massive imbalance. And so you have to protect the vulnerable partner. So I use emotionally focused couples therapy as a later recovery resource for couples that have gone through all those previous stages. If I do meet with a couple early on in the crisis stage, it's all about safety and containment and boundaries and accountability. And it feels very one-sided to the person who was unfaithful, to the addict or the abuser. It, and so I, I just am constantly protecting and making sure that we're not doing traditional couples work. But to answer your question, Carol, as far as the, the why I chose emotionally focused couples therapy is because if you want to repair a broken bond, you have to repair it on the level of the, of the attachment, of the emotions, of, of that felt sense of security. It's not about great communication skills. Because when people feel securely connected and they feel safe with another person and they know that person has their back, then you can talk freely pretty easily. You don't have to learn any techniques per se. Emotionally focused couples therapy also is one of the best ways to develop empathy for the unfaithful person, to help them really understand the impact that they've had on their betrayed partner. There's a whole subset of there's a whole sub-protocol or model within EFT, emotionally focused therapy, called attachment injury repair model. And this is, a, this is a, a specialized sequence that we use to really help repair the damaged bond so that the betrayed partner has a very strong felt sense from their unfaithful partner that they really get and understand the depth of the pain that they've created. And and uh, we we go up we go for it on this emotional level. It's not just a logical type explanation. It's it's heartfelt and it's deep and it takes several sessions. But I find that in in later term repair work for betrayed couples or couples that are dealing with betrayal, this is probably in my experience the most effective way to deepen that. Um, and uh, and so when, when it's all done sort of carefully and correctly with the right sequence in place, um, then it can work. And most people come in to treatment grieving the loss of this relationship. So to help them put it back together with all these structures and supports in place is a real gift uh, to them and, and obviously future generations. So it's very sacred work, but it's a very complicated work, as you know. <laughs> Well, yes, and, and, you know, I loved what you said about the fact that until safety and stabilization has occurred and until, for me, that unless the partner doesn't want it, that disclosure has occurred, people can't begin to do couples work. I mean, they can do early Correct. recovery couples work, which I, I advocate for, and that's just the basic empathy skills and reflective listening and what I call communication one-on-one skills. Truly, to do therapy, there has to be that level of trust that that is at least formed, if not beginning to be rebuilt. And and so I was glad you reminded our audience that so many therapists don't know what they're doing if they've never worked with sexual addiction, attachment issues, or partner betrayal. They don't know what they don't know, and they may try to move couples into something that is absolutely impossible to accomplish right after discovery. So thanks for reminding me and the listening audience about that because that's, that's so important. Um, so we just have a few minutes, and I wanted to ask you, I know you believe there are some universal principles for rebuilding trust. And so I'd like for you to share a few of those. And then again, any resources that you would recommend? Yes, are you still there, Carol? I sure am. Did you hear any of that? Hello, are you, you still there? there? Yes, I'm Yeah, there. I'm there. Can you hear me? <laughs> okay. Yes, So I I'm wanted good. to hear some of those 
principles that you advocate for, you really believe that there are some universal principles for rebuilding trust. Let's hear about them. Yeah, the, the first one is transparency. Um, I don't care who you are or what, you know, what you've done. Your partner has to know, you know, it's sort of like the universal sign for, for, for a criminal who's going to surrender is the hands up in the air, right? They're showing there's nothing in their hands. They're fully transparent. You know, they're frisking their body. They're making sure that they're safe. And, a, and, a, and tr- rebuilding trust is built on transparency. So we've talked about f- formal therapeutic, therapeutic disclosure. Um, but like you said, even earlier, we were talking about just reporting slips within a certain amount of time. There has to be um, an ongoing lifetime commitment to letting your partner see and know what's in your heart, what's in your, on your mind, where you are, what you're doing, that you're, everything lines up. Everything lines up from what they feel to what they see to what they hear. And so transparency for life is, in my opinion, the foundation and, and, and it's harder than you think for a lot of people. people. You know, we have a lot of defenses, and we want to hide, and we want to conceal and prepare that things are better than they really are. Um, another principle that's universal is, is time. Um, people, you cannot rush the trust-building process. Um, time is always going to be on your side when you're trying to rebuild trust. You have to have repeated experiences that line up, that match up. And we trust time. Um, you know, this is why we put people obviously in prison, but they don't just spend a night in jail for a, for a serious crime. We need to know that they've spent lots of time, that they've had time to think and feel, that they've had time to have maybe some empathy. And it's not only protecting them from other people they could hurt, but it's also rehabilitative. The time is so important, and uh, we don't trust people who seem to change quickly. We don't trust quick fix type things just instinctively as humans. We're very suspicious of that. And so if you're going to rebuild trust, you've got to be settled in for the long haul and not be as Doug Weiss has said, the hurry up guy and want things just to go quickly. Um, those are probably the two biggest ones that I'll just say for now for time's sake, Carol, but I, those, those to me are universal. I don't know if that matches your experience or not. Oh, yes, absolutely. And unfortunately, you know, one of the things that I say is that addicts need to learn to be authentic, genuine, and transparent. And transparency is a tough concept for an addict to know because truly an addict has spent his or her whole life hiding from people. And so that's an important principle. How do you teach it? Well, you teach it by um, experientially. So if you've got an addict in your office and they're starting to talk to you privately, you build trust with them to teach them that coming out of hiding and opening up about what they're sharing is going to be met with a humanistic response, that they're going to feel from you that they're respected and valued because you know, maybe at home they're getting yelled at or they're, or they're you know, they're getting uh, the door slammed in their face or whatever. And so understandably, and I'm not blaming a betrayed partner, of course they're hurt and they're going to react strongly. But, they have, but a lot of addicts for the first time have to learn what it's like to speak their truth and, and have it be a safe response. And so as a therapist, you want to create an environment for them where telling the truth um, is a good experience for them. And then you start to, and then in groups can be the same way. This is why 12 step groups have been so successful for, you know, decades because there's no cross talking. You, you open up about something and nobody's allowed to comment or shut you down or criticize it or disagree with it. You just get to put it out there. So having practice in groups and in therapy, opening up, it's experiential. You have to experience what it's like to say the words put them out there and see what it's like and the relief that you feel when everything on the inside starts to match up on the outside. That's, that's how people start to practice it. It's not just a concept you read in a book and just kind of think through. You have to actually live it. 
Well, you said that really well. And I want to ask you, are these universal principles for rebuilding trust in your online boot camp course? Oh, absolutely. And so much more. Absolutely. Um, I teach these among other principles that I've learned over 20 plus years of working with uh, betrayed couples and individuals that have been trying to rebuild trust. Um, the good news is, is you don't have to reinvent the wheel. We, we know what works and we know how to help people do it. And in all the videos and worksheets and discussions, I'm, I'm trying to hit lots of angles and lots of ways to try and help you understand these concepts so that you can be successful in this. Well, Jeff, I cannot thank you enough for sharing your wisdom with our listening audience. Now, one more time, they can go to www.trustbuildingacademy.com for that 12-week Trust Building Boot Camp online program. And once they buy the program, they, they have it forever. They can spend as much time as they need reviewing and learning the concepts, and they also have access to you. That's correct. They have lifetime access to the program, and they have an automatic one-year access to the calls. And then if they want to continue on with the calls after that, there's a small fee they can pay for after that first year. But you have a whole year of access to, to the calls but a lifetime of access to the course. And then any future updates I make, if I add new material or new videos, you'll get those updates as well. And Carol, I'd like to offer your listeners a discount of 20% if they enter uh, a coupon code. Um, if they can get 20% off the program, if they enter the code CAROL20, so CAROL20, if you enter that at checkout, you'll save $20 or 20% rather off of the price of the uh, 12-week program. Wow, that is fabulous. Okay, I am encouraging my listeners to, to take advantage of this course. You can uh, hear that Jeff knows what he's talking about. It's been his passion. And um, I want you all to send me emails and let me know what you think of the course. So, Jeff, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us tonight. And keep me posted on other projects you're doing because – I know our couples need a lot of support. Oh, it's my pleasure, Carol. Thank you so much for giving me a chance to have this great discussion with you. And I love what you're doing to help so many people. Good information changes lives. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You have a good one, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Good night. Good night. All right. So, again, that was Gesture, and he is obviously a master at working with couples. He has just really made it his own. And his website, again, is www.trustbuildingacademy.com. And if you put in CAROL20 as the promo code, you get 20% off. So that's, I, I just think that's worth its weight in gold. Okay, now. I'm going to catch you back here next week for more Sex Help with Carol the Coach. But I want you to work on that transparency, and we all know to do that, you have to know that there will only be one of you at all times, and fearlessly, that means you have to have the courage to be yourself. We will see you next week for more Sex Help with Carol the Coach.